From Mountain Athletic Journal published out of Salt Lake City, this is Mountain Standard. Just a quick note before we get started, this is actually part two of an episode about running an ultramarathon. If you haven't listened to part one before now, then I definitely suggest that you go back and do so before listening to this episode. And now, part two. Verily, I have warned you against the sins of the foot, and yet still you fall into iniquity. Has not the Lord provided thee with 150 shekels of suspension in the front and 140 shekels of suspension in the rear? And yet still you choose the sins of the foot? Has not the Lord provided thee with garments with padding for thine taint, and gloves of animal hide in the palm to protect thine soft hands? And yet still you fall into iniquity. That's good. Perfect. So, yeah. That's a good friend of mine named Brian reading aloud a text he sent to me in response to learning that Shad and I were going to run an ultramarathon. As I've come to learn, he grew up going to church in the South every week, and apparently people who do that often have the ability to bust out scripture mashups pretty much on demand. Brian, like a lot of my friends, has been a multi-sport mountain athlete for a long time. Although I wouldn't necessarily announce this in his presence, he's much better than me at literally everything mountain sport related. As such, he's also encountered his fair share of injuries from impact events and long-term overuse. Although he could be described initially as some sort of hardo mountain man, I've come to realize he doesn't really play that role the more you get to know him. If anything, I've looked up to him a bit due to his vast experience and generally having a well-educated opinion and, you know, being better than me at most mountain sports. The one exception, I think, is mountain running. As you may have guessed, he's not a huge fan of running and he prefers mountain biking by a large margin. And to be fair, he's not wrong. Mountain biking, while often having much more potential for danger, can be a lot easier and less impactful on your body than running in most settings. So his point, while presented in a joking manner, was well taken. With all the other great mountain sports out there, why on earth were we choosing to do the one with the highest suffer meter? Yo, can you hear me? Yeah. What's going on? Uh, just, you know, working. Are you in the shop right now? Uh, everything is noisy. There's not a single... Yes, I'm around the shop. All right, fair anyway, enough. Anyway, talk, talk at me. I'm listening. <laughs> how's your, uh, how's your running training going? Uh, I have not been running much in the last two weeks, as these things go. But, yes, you know, I don't know. So... Yeah. I learned something the other day. Uh-huh. Um, miles 20 through 30 are really hard. Yeah. Like Those are my thoughts. It's not ideal. It's just not. It's a below average situation for sure. I'm a little worried about this. Dude, your times were 13.55 per mile. Yeah, that seemed, that seems not good. I mean, I didn't do the math on it, but... I thought we were estimating uh, 15 minutes a mile. Is that what we were doing? 15? Yeah. Oh. Huh. I guess I don't remember that part of the conversation. I mean, that's not going to be fast. For your podcast, it's going to sound totally fucking stupid. But 
like a yeah a real runner yeah would go faster but so here's here's the thing though i made i made a critical error though and this is where i think i need your help i uh i took zero electrolytes with me oh yeah you're an idiot so uh, uh so there's diminishing returns on uh on just drinking water the whole time and yeah. just like eating eating normal food man it was like oh my god it was it was it was really stupid of me to do this so you did you have any food with you? No, no, no. I, I took food. Um, I, I actually, the food, the food and water thing wasn't the problem. It was just like, basically from mile 10 on, I was on the verge of cramping. Yeah. Like the entire time. I never oh actually got a cramp, but like if I started having any sort of like, or trying to apply any sort of technical running um, yeah. to, you know, to moving forward, like it would, I, I knew I was about to cramp, right? Yeah. So what are you bringing with you as far as like electrolytes? So I mix all my water with, um, all, all my water is like heavily mixed with electrolytes and it's like, um, and it has some, um, uh, what do you call them? Ammonia acid. Amino acids. The amino acids. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there you that go. stuff seems to work really well for me. And then I also, I, you know, I'm a horse, so. I, I, all my water is mixed with that. And then I like, I'll usually try and down like two salt tablets per an hour. Yeah. Okay. I mean like the whole time I was thinking this, this, uh, this round trip was going to be around 25 miles. And then like towards, towards the end, I'm like, fuck, what if this is only 20 miles? Like in, in my head, I was going to get back to the van and find out it was actually only 20 miles. I was going to pull out of the race. Like there was, there was no doubt in my mind. I was definitely going to pull out of the race if that were the case. Yeah. But then you accidentally ran the race. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was like just over 30 miles and it wasn't Yeah, essentially the race. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. But I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know about you, but when I did that run, I think I had like three or four liters on myself. Yeah, I had three and I filled up about 10 miles in, but then I didn't, I didn't have anything after that. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was like, I don't know, it was really discouraging because like, man, I had to walk. I bet you I walked a solid. Oh, that's what you do in those races. Six miles of the 30. Yeah. You know what I mean? Some, somewhere I think most range. people walk all the hills. Yeah. Dude, I felt, I felt much better on the hills. It was like going downhill. Yeah. That was, God, it was just fucking oh, really? terrible. Yeah. But mainly I'm worried because I haven't been running that much. Like I did that huge run two weekends ago and then kind of yeah. haven't been able to run that much. Um, uh, anyway, yeah. Okay. Well, um, until then, don't run or do anything that would prepare you for this. Naturally. Okay. Okay. Cool, man. All right. All right. I'll talk to you. Bye. All right, bye. But all too often, people in their first ultra uh, blow up really bad. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's deceptively hard to maintain a pace for that long. But with you having a, a you know you've got a, a biking background, you've been building up your aerobic base, your endurance, and you've been getting into running quite a bit. So for you, I'd say yeah, three months, two months even. I think you could handle that. What about two weeks?
Two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. So this is this is reality. Oh, it's, it's less than two weeks away. Yeah. Less than two weeks yeah. away. I think you're going to be fine. You may remember Jesse Rich from the last episode where I had a conversation with him about the athletes he's following in ultra running, as well as some of the trends and races to pay attention to in the sport. He actually just got back from running the CCC in France, which is the 100K little brother of the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, where he took 53rd out of over 2,000 racers. Jesse's now a pretty good acquaintance of mine, so I asked him over to give me some thoughts about me running a trail ultra, because he's for sure aware that I'm not that much of a runner. You know, a major question of mine to you is like, what kind of mistakes have you seen people get themselves into during their first ultra? Um, and it sounds like just, you know, the first one that you mentioned was, was pace, just like going out there and just blowing up. Yeah. Yeah. That's number one. It, and it's really about, you're going to have the adrenaline rush of the race. So it's just going to feel not as hard as it is. I've noticed that. And I still struggle with the 50 K distance because it's a fast distance. You still have to push but you have to be patient and you have to run your own race. So many people will tell you that too. That just basically means if you're getting past, but you're feeling good and that's your pace, then you're gonna get past. And, and you know what? A lot of the time you're gonna pass those people again. Yeah. Uh, so number one would be, you know, don't go out too hard, pace yourself, learn how to eat. That's important too at the aid stations. Uh, try to find a gel that, you know, you can tolerate on your long runs uh, for, for hours on end, you know, what type of gel are you going to take that doesn't make you feel sick? That's not too sweet that you could imagine taking 10 of those and feeling okay. And I also <clears throat> encourage people to take in whole foods at the age stations, fruits, uh, you know, potato, things like that. Some people like Coca-Cola is one of the biggest yeah. things that people love to have a little caffeine yeah. boost. So getting used to eating on the run is another big one. Uh, it, it's really awkward at first, feels super unnatural and reminding yourself to do that along the race as well can be really tricky. Mm -hmm. uh, about every half hour, 45 minutes, you should be eating something. Okay. Really easy to get carried away and forget about that. And that is most likely going to lead to kind of a crash, a bonk, uh, you know, so little glucose going through your bloodstream that you're going to feel this kind of depleted, you know, bonk state yeah. where you're just exhausted. So, sure. Okay. Maybe even setting a timer in your watch. A lot of people do that for every 45 minutes. Okay, I got to eat something. Yeah. Because um, once you get behind, it's it's then much harder to catch up. Understood. Mm -hmm. um, so nutrition aside, uh, you know, which don't get me wrong, I, I definitely understand that, uh, you know, that's normally advice people would pay you for. So thanks for <laughs> providing that. Um, what would you anticipate the first failure point would be on someone's body like myself that isn't accustomed to running long distances? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, a lot of people is, with that type of vert, it could be, you know, your quads and hamstrings that, that are going to be kind of wearing out the fastest. So, you know, incorporating maybe even a little strength training to just let them adjust to that type of load. And, and, and you know, you can bomb down mountains as well, but if you're trying to get the best bang for your buck, uh, it can be good sometimes to do some weightlifting to really get that um, those muscles engaged and working and you're going to feel really sore your first time. But I would say quads and hamstrings, a lot of people get a lot of, uh, you know, pain in the calves during the day. And that depends on your shoe as well. I'm, I'm 
totally cool with zero drop shoes. I do wear zero drop most of the time, but when I'm racing, I don't because that can, that can kind of strain the calves at times. So there's a few things to look at and, and, uh, you know, figuring out where you get sore and, and how to kind of counter that soreness is just doing it more. And, and, and again, if you're, there's going to be hills, take your downhills fast to really engage those quads and get them more durable. And if there's up, do some hill sprints, get, get your muscles used to that, that firing mm-hmm. so that it feels easier on race day and that you don't, your muscles don't get too, too haggard. Yeah. Understood. And that's okay. another thing that has to do with it. You know, it is your first ultra. I think you're going to, you should expect that. Honestly, that's going to be expected. Even if you've trained a lot, the, the soreness, it's, it's really cool to see like through the years that I'm racing, how the soreness just doesn't happen as much and recovery just is quicker, but that's just the amount of time and the durability I put into my body. So I would say expect to be pretty dang sore. Yeah. Not a lot you can do about that on the first one, uh, but yeah, it's it's gonna be a little a little painful. Um, I think two things seem to get um, newer runners entering, you know, who are um, suddenly spending a lot more time on their feet and doing lots more miles. That's ultra runner Megan Hicks again from earlier in the show. One overuse injuries, which you what you mentioned, like, it's just, you know, even if you're running on a trail, it's a pretty symmetrical motion. And if you have any muscular asymmetries, it's just, you know, like exacerbated step by step by step, you know, thousands of times in one run. Um, So I think overuse injuries are a, a huge issue for everybody jumping up in volume or distance and then nutrition, like, I mean, you really have to feed yourself for things lasting more than two or three hours pretty, pretty well in order for your energy to stay as high at the end as it does in the beginning. And just figuring out um, what to eat and how to eat and how often to eat and what your body likes, because we're all a little bit different. And it's just like, that's a tough nut to crack. Well, it's hard to deny that when successful ultra runners all give you similar advice, you should probably take it. I'd come to the realization that the opportunity existed to actually succeed at my first ultra, but it was hard not to think of all the reasons why this could end poorly, especially the ones I witnessed firsthand. Give me one or two reasons why you think I'm going to be just fine at this 55K. Yeah, again, if you were just getting into it and it's your first experience with endurance sports, I would say you need a solid six months. Uh, but because you have a, a good, a good amount, I mean, how long has it been since you've been biking and doing sports and yeah, well, just like, yeah. What age did you start? Oh, what age did I start? Yeah. Oh, uh, I was a late bloomer, man. I was 29 when okay. I started doing this stuff and you know, I'm 38 now. Okay. So um, a solid nine years in there. That's for that's, sure. That's yeah. a good base. So, yeah. And, and I've, and I've gone on runs with you too. So I know that you've got a good you know, cardiovascular build going on. Yeah. And yeah, you have that race experience through biking. Uh, you know, you've proven to, to be consistent on those races too. Yeah. All the listeners out there, Blair got second. So everyone should know that <laughs> as well. And his last 12 hour biking race, which is incredible. So hearing those things, like there's no real concern that, mm-hmm. that comes up when I hear that you're doing well in yeah. biking. Yeah. 
again, it translates somewhat. You still need to build up as a runner. Mm -hmm. You know, the cardio isn't just like it. You have to work your muscles too that are specific to running. But again, I've seen you run and I feel like that's not something that's that's outrageous. Mm -hmm. And again, as a coach, there's a lot of times where I do have to tell people no Mm -hmm. and that you're not ready. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea what your friend Chad's history is, but if it's anything like yours, I think you guys will do fine. Yeah. As long as you don't, as long as you take it that way, like kind of not too serious and not too competitive, yeah. I, I think you'll do fine. Fair enough. Yeah. And that's, that's my reasoning yeah. is because you have nine years of, of experience and your, you know, your trim, if someone were to be, you know, uh, a little heavier and just starting in the sport, it'd be, it'd be a little different, right? Mm-hmm. You need to address the nutrition. You need to address the training mm-hmm. a lot more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So give me one or two reasons why this might be a catastrophic failure. Well, from what you're saying, I just hope your injuries don't flare up. That's the yeah. biggest concern for me. Yeah. The catastrophic failure, most likely, likely for your first race is going to be bonking. And just to be clear, no one, no one fully bonks. If you're completely bonked, you can literally like have a stroke and seizure and die if you don't get enough glucose to your brain. Mm-hmm. So these bonks are, I'm using that word kind of loosely, Yeah. but be ready, you know, try to eat as much as you can. But if you haven't had a lot of four hour plus training runs and, and getting used to that, you might feel a pretty big crash in energy. Yeah. Yeah. And what I would recommend is, is don't ignore that and try to push through it. I would say, slow down when it hits you, start eating more and, and, and work through it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just go, like they feel the bonk coming and they just keep it going and yeah. keep the speed. And then yeah. it's just this, like I said, some people end up walking. So uh, not bonking, I think that's that's the number one thing that most people gotcha. experience is, yeah. is when it's your first race, uh, glycogen depletion and just energy crashing is, is the number one thing to look out for. Other than that, I think I think you'll be good. Fair enough. You know, also you're you're it's it's a mental battle as well with these longer distances. You're you're likely gonna have the urge to to drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's fair to say that most of us have that thought cross our mind at least once. Yeah, and the more depleted you are nutritionally and and dehydrated, the more that's gonna that thought's gonna come up. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, there are, there are moments where it's warranted, but if it's just because you're, you're bonking and tired, just say, you know, just break it up into aid stations. That's what I like to do. Yeah. You know, just say, okay, I've got four miles left to my next aid station. I'll reassess there. Yeah. Always tell yourself, you know, if you were halfway and you're telling yourself, Hey, I still got 15 miles plus to go. Yeah. Then mentally it's, that's a, a much larger hurdle to get it over is. than to yeah. say, I've got four miles left to the next yeah. station. Break yeah. it up. That works for me every time. Just break yeah. it up. And, and especially at the hundred mile distance, if you try to tell yourself, Hey, I only got 80 miles left, you know, it's not the good, best mental place to be. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah. <laughs> nice um, you're gonna do great i'm excited so two weeks that's that's yeah. a quick turnover but yeah, again i'm see. not i'm not worried about it all right i want to go down a pros and cons list as far as us doing this event um, and deciding to run 34 miles 
And basically, I just need you, you know, you can agree or disagree or just have supplementary info to add, you know, to shed some color on the situation. I'll start with the pros list. We're both multi-sport athletes. And honestly, we're both in pretty good shape. Like, you would agree with that, right? Like, yeah, this isn't this isn't that outside the realm of no. things, right? Okay. 34 miles doesn't seem that far. I have a comment on that, which I'll get to later. Pro number two, we both have some sadistic need for suffering. True. Yeah. yeah. More specifically, we generally prefer to go into something with a lot of unknowns and figuring things out as we go along, right? And like, that's kind of what this event is gonna be, right? Check. Okay. Number three, we both love the idea of coming off the couch to do something hard. And more yeah. specifically, doing something that isn't what the norm is or like traditionally what is considered hard. Yeah. And I think it's also like, you know, we're also really busy people, as most people are. And, you know, it can be a little daunting adhering to one discipline and training continuously for that one. One you know, I and we are too scatterbrained to focus on one single thing. Yeah. And, and again, like it'd be really frustrating if I said to myself, wow, I'd really like to run 35 miles, but I don't have six months to dedicate to ramping up to that or, and at the same time, give up climbing and mountain biking and skiing and whatever else is interesting me. So I think part of that, like off the couchiness isn't so much as like just off the couching something but i think it's also just sort of a product of our lifestyles it's not trying to be a hard ass necessarily it's more like well like you said like we don't want to be amazing at any one specific thing because there's so many enjoyable sports yeah yeah okay but we're fortunate enough to well touch wood fortunate enough to be able to pull off stuff like this because you know we're generally somewhat well-rounded yeah. we suck at everything the yeah same yeah understood Number four, I put down, we both have pretty good mental stamina to get through things under less than ideal conditions. It's because of a fear that the other one will get through it and we won't. <laughs> Wait a minute, are you competing with me on this? Well, not strictly per se, but I wouldn't be able to live with myself if you finished and I didn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's a little bit of that. So this may be the end of your mountain sport career, <laughs> like in general. <laughs> Okay, uh, pro number five. If we finish with a respectable time, um, it would just give us that much more experience to do something harder in the future, which is a point you kind of made earlier, right? It's like this could be yet another springboard to do something stupider in the future, no? Yeah. Okay. And then the last one I had, number six. Both of us have a track record of accidentally surviving things we have no business doing yeah fair pretty accurate yeah. right yeah okay con list you want to hear the con list now right mm -hmm. okay first thing i put up there both of us have a track record of accidentally surviving things we have no business doing <laughs> like i don't know why we think this is a good idea like every time you survive something that you know you're out there and like you're not experienced enough to get through but somehow you wind up getting through it it just kind of gives you some idea that like you're going to be okay no matter what right yeah but this like is, we're not going to die right no. and this is a self-fulfilling prophecy because you know you reading the con list is just going to make us want to do it more 
Like that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number two, neither one of us identifies as a runner and neither of, of us have run over 20 miles. True. Running's boring. Why would I identify as a runner? <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> uh, like self-identifying as an insurance salesman. Like, <laughs> Apologies to all insurance salesmen listening right now. So, okay. And that's fair. I, I mean, I myself, I don't think I've ever run over 14 miles. So you've got, you've got me for sure. This will be over twice the amount that I've run. And really? I still have yet to comment on, on that, but I will comment on that after the, the rest of the con list. Number three, <clears throat> and we touched on it before, we both tend to shun sporting events traditionally thought of as hard. And that probably leads to some sort of undeserved overconfidence, meaning you know, both of us kind of have the same opinion on marathons. It's just like an arbitrary fucking number mm -hmm. that people choose to, you know, set sights on. And that's fine. Like if, if that's hard, but for some reason you and I both have it in our heads that running a marathon isn't hard. And especially with 7,000 feet of elevation. It's too pedestrian. It's right? too pedestrian. I can't, I don't want to have a 26.2 sticker on the back of my car. So another con Neither one of us has a history of pacing ourselves correctly for any competition. No? Yeah, shockingly accurate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, <clears throat> I was wondering when I asked you what your strategy was for this, you didn't immediately say just to start sprinting as soon as the gun goes off. Because that's generally your strategy for everything. Yeah, you got to YOLO the start. <laughs> what do you say, YOLO the start? Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> was YOLO the start. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, we both don't pay attention to anything our bodies tell us, specifically warning signs or injuries. Yeah, that's mostly true. I, Although I will slay and eat a runner if I get hungry enough out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know this. <laughs> Anytime I've known you to be injured for any reason, you I, honestly, I've, it's, I've found out that you've been injured while we've been in the middle of doing something a lot of the times because, you know, we both don't really believe in injuries. It's kind of just like some sort of, you know, liberal agenda. You know? It's just like the avalanches. It's just like the avalanches, exactly. They're, yeah. they're not, it's, they're not, it's a liberal conspiracy mm -hmm. for sure, um, along with injuries. So we both generally kind of ignore that stuff. Um, and, you know, I'm a fair bit older than you now. And I can tell you that it's um, it does catch up with you, which is unfortunate. Um, I almost didn't do something for two straight weeks after my knee injury. And I was pretty upset. But, you know. Yeah, you would explode. Uh, the years will not be kind to you. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, the first thing I did do was the Eldose mountain bike race. Yeah. After, that's, yeah. Speaking of off the couch and Which you crushed. Yeah. I you was, hauled ass. I, it, it should be noted that we did finish second. Yeah. I mean, I just, I do want to put that out there that, you know, we, for the 12 hour two man team, we did finish second. So. One can only assume all this mountain biking transfers directly to running. percent. I mean, I can't understand why it wouldn't. Number six, neither one of us are interested in training with any sincerity. Not any concerted effort. Cause again, it kind of then yeah. it fucks up all your other fun stuff. Yeah. And it like makes you identify as a runner at yeah. that point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number seven and possibly the most serious one. Uh, you require a lot of food 
And between the two of us, I require more water than you. I don't require a ton of water, but compared to you, I require water. And I'm I'm not too sure that by mile like 20 that you're not going to be eating another runner. That, yeah. You know, like a, one of the stragglers. It is a real possibility. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, do you have any sort of nutrition plan for 34 miles? Well, so you're, what you're not getting on this audio recording is that I am a 200 pound horse. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I figured out that I require a lot of salt. So, uh, you know, all the regular uh, electrolyte drink mixes, salt tablets, all that stuff. That's kind of what I need to keep going. In addition to, of course, some sugar and food every once in a while. But luckily, there's gonna be some aid stations and a few year old clean them out. And the thing I've always found is that I have to down as much food and water as I possibly can every time I have a chance. So it's really easy to get kind of casual about it, especially when you're in the middle of a race, like just taking a little sip or whatever, when you get a chance. But for me, it's really when I, when I stop, or if I decide to swing by an aid station, not just like taking a little casual sip, but really taking a minute to force down as much calories and water as I possibly can. And that seems to keep me from crashing and, and getting dehydrated. All right. Any closing comments or predictions? Do you think we get through this? Oh, yeah. You don't think it's going to be that big of a deal? No. Mm. I mean, I might eat a runner and <laughs> you might have to self-amputate your knee. <laughs> but yeah, it's happening. Okay. Now, will the next step, the like 70 miles we decide to run in another month or two work out? I don't know. Stay tuned. <laughs> I started some semblance of a relationship with running back in early 2010 when I moved to Salt Lake. At first, like a lot of people, I ran on roads and I honestly thought running that three to five miles was really difficult at the time. And that's not to say that it should have been easy. I just bring it up to illustrate the fact that if you keep it something, even casually, you continue to push the bar, even if you're not trying to. I remember the first time I ran 10 miles on roads and up until that point, my longest run was six miles. It felt weird, like I was out of my element and I was in unfamiliar territory, but it felt good, like I was discovering something entirely new that I could do, like a new skill that I was immediately successful at. I had the same relationship with biking. At first, biking 10 miles on a mountain bike was really hard. Then I biked 25 once and I loved it. Then I wound up road biking something like 48 miles one time, covering a number of different new neighborhoods in a Boston area that I was unfamiliar with and feeling great about it. After that, I entered a 92 mile gravel bike race with a friend that covered 11,000 feet of climbing in the Washington Cascades. It was just about double my previous long I had no idea I could cover that kind of distance. So, I mean, the idea of doubling my previous long run to complete this 35 mile race wasn't very foreign to me. I figured I had a number of runs in the 14 and 15 mile range and felt really good about it. So it was time to stop being comfortable and complacent to a certain degree about what I could physically do if I tried. After the inadvertent 30 mile test outing that I did early in the week, I had a tough time understanding which side of the fence I was on when considering if it was a success or a failure. It could arguably be viewed as a success because I did complete it without needing much support in any way, and I didn't quit early. But more importantly in my mind, 
it could easily be viewed as a failure in the sense that it was likely I couldn't have completed the next five miles because I was in such poor condition after mile 30. As these things go, there really wasn't any more time to waste on analysis or preparation. We decided to sleep in the van at the start of the race the night before. This didn't really yield positive results for my anxiety, but the brief passing rain overnight, in fact, did. Then, it was time to wake up and tow the line. That's coming up after the break. The first company I wanted to mention is a mountain sport education and training resource called Uphill Athlete. It's led by two super impressive and established athletes and coaches, Steve House and Scott Johnston. As is common for the companies I like to mention on the show, these guys are really focused on helping people achieve their goals in mountain sports. They've been on my mind recently because they sponsor the local Utah Schemo races that I take part in every couple of weeks. And I read their 2014 book, Training for the New Alpinism, a couple of years ago. And it's become the de facto standard for anyone looking to excel in difficult mountain sports that involve technical movement up and down mountains through climbing or running or skiing, etc. To be fair, I actually haven't read their newer release called Training for the Uphill Athlete, which added another famous contributor, Killian Jornet. But I suspect it's every bit as good as their first book, and you should go to their website, uphillathlete.com, to buy either one of them. While there, definitely take a look through their barrage of training plans for highly specific disciplines in mountain sports, as well as all of the educational content they write about in detail that's available for free. When they started this company, I believe that they were well ahead of the curve. And now that mountain sports are gaining in popularity, their relevance for modern athletes couldn't be any more important. Another company I've been paying attention to a bunch lately is Gorilla Gravity. They design and manufacture mountain bikes out of Denver, Colorado. To call them just another boutique bike brand would be a huge disservice, though, and miss the point entirely. To me, it seems like they're a lot more than a company making badass mountain bikes because they work really hard on a strategy to increase ridership as well as trail access. Full disclosure, they may have been completely under my radar in years past, but I have a good friend that started working for them a while back and keeps me in the loop and all that they do for the mountain biking community there. What I like about them is I can confirm that they have really smart in-house engineers rethinking the traditional way to make a mountain bike. And when I say they manufacture in the US, I don't just mean a couple of models. They do it all in Colorado, including all of their new carbon frame bikes using their revved carbon technology process. I can tell you firsthand, manufacturing in the US when all of your competitors are outsourcing to international suppliers, not an easy thing to accomplish. And they do it with a direct-to-consumer model, which reduces costs to the consumer when compared to other bikes with similar group sets. Unfortunately, I don't personally have a need to get a new mountain bike right now, but I can sincerely say that I'd have Gorilla Gravity on the short list of bikes to demo, and you should too. Check out how stoked they are at their jobs by visiting them at ridegg.com. Now, let's get back to it. When we left off, it was the night before the race. I was sleeping, or at least trying to sleep in my van with my wife and my dog. I was anxious. 
I had a lot of uncertainty. And then it started raining slightly, somewhere around 3 a.m. An hour later, my alarm went off as the first race organizers were just pulling into the pitch dark parking lot. Totally random question. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Like, you don't have... We're still sleeping in there. <laughs> you don't have a water bottle, do you? I do, but it's like, not something you'd want to carry. Why? I left my water bottles at home, so now I'm carrying one of Aubrey's. Oh, Jesus. Um, so, I have... Okay. Oh, cool. Thanks. What's in um, here? All sorts Jesus. of stuff, but... Oh, okay. Various mixes and goos are in there, too. No, I brought literally everything except water. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're going to listen to an audiobook? Well, yeah. I thought we were going to talk about, like, our feelings okay, and hopes okay. and dreams and stuff. Well, you're going to cr- cruise past me in about 10 minutes. Well, I don't know about that. I think I got to pace this for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, just happened to find a water bottle laying around. Um, I have another soft flask. No, but you need it. No, I've got, I think I've got another one. Oh, if you have another one, that would be insane. Oh, yeah. Hi. What up? Chad's a jerk, and he didn't ask if I wanted a water bottle. But you do. <laughs> Chad's forgot his, and he's like, and so I gave him one of mine, and he comes, he doesn't even ask me. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll get it back to you. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you. Like, Chad, did you ask if you could have. One for me? No. <laughs> and of course he sends you back over. Are you just gonna... I, I was like, 
telling Chad, I'm like, maybe I should just go sleep in Blair's van and then meet him at the pass. <laughs> 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 I, I, actually I actually didn't register. Thanks, man. Uh, do you know where the truck is? The bed drop? Uh, anything, I'm not dropping anything. Hey, I made a sandwich for you. Did you really? Yeah. That? So it's a black OGO bag with kind of like red stuff. It's got a can of Pringles in there. If we get separated, you get to the thing, just grab a sandwich out of that. It's guy. a black OGO bag? Yeah, it's like a backpack. Oh, thanks, man. That was really nice it's of you. It's got a little banana. It's peanut butter and banana chips and honey. Oh. Shit. That sounds it's gonna, awesome. It's going to be really good. All right. Yeah, thanks, man. Okay. Okay. And I think I should be good. Oh, my hat. Yeah, probably need that. I put my jacket in there. Let me guess. Mwah. Okay. All right, love you, baby. I'll see you in a bit. Okay, bye. It was now about 4.55 a.m. It seems weird to say now, but... The fact that I had a handful of friends that were there, all going to suffer through the same thing, made a big difference to me mentally. I was less anxious and less concerned about the possibility of not finishing. You wouldn't think it would have that much of a motivational effect, but it did. It kind of seemed like I was just out getting an early start to a run with some people that I knew, and some that I didn't. At this point, the organizers are doing pretty typical pre-race announcements, sponsor mentions, and safety-related matters. One thing did catch my ear, though, and it was this. Withdraw from the race for any reason. Don't just leave and go home. Please let us know we don't want to send search and rescue out after you. The idea of spending enough time during a race in the backcountry to where you may get off course and not see anyone for a while was kind of intriguing to me. I don't want to overstate it, but the fact that the organizers had to think about the possibility of involving search and rescue at all makes ultra running pretty unique in and of itself. With that said, this was a short ultra by most measures, and it had much less possibility of losing someone on course when compared to ultras of the 100 plus mile distance. Then, as a complete tangent, there was this last message about a friendly bull moose that has showed up most years. Like I said earlier, it's the 10th year, and I think just about every year there has been, uh, there's a little bull moose that's gotten a little bigger every year, just just below the saddle. He, he's been pretty friendly. He's a couple of people over the years, but ne no, never had any, so we're pretty good there. And then you'll see the horse corral. Yeah, so the fact that Shad forgot something as important as water bladders for this race really isn't that surprising, but it is quite humorous. It just illustrates the yeah. fact that he'll sweat some minor details, but glance over critical non-starters like water or showing up without a harness to go climb. <laughs> All right. Oh yeah, you gotta start the Strava. Strava going? 
And with that, we were off. 85 people moving quickly up a small dirt road in pure darkness. Headlights bobbing, lots of little chatter and occasional laughter amongst mini groupings of runners that immediately formed based on initial pace. I'm sure at the front it was a completely different story, but mid-packish, a fair amount of camaraderie existed. So, what kind of pace are you looking for for this like, thing? This is great. <laughs> Even <laughs> I'm looking for walker pace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It would be great to have like 13 minute miles out of this thing, but. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so, John is doing the Wasatch 100. Oh, hey. hey. <laughs> and John wants me to pace him for some of it. Although I'm gonna, I'm kind of convinced you're gonna get lost way before you wind up yeah, yeah. needing my Absolutely. me to pace you. <laughs> You'll just be hanging out at Brighton. <laughs> That'll be my day. But I appreciate you showing up. <laughs> yeah, so. I don't know. I mean, this is kind of blindly in the blind because I'm kind of looking towards John on this. <laughs> Alright guys, we only got like 34 miles. <laughs> I was told just to go slower than you think. Typically I sprint at the beginning of these just to assert dominance. And... <laughs> I'd lay back for this one. Assert dominance. <laughs> if you don't assert dominance early on, they'll never respect you. Gotta demoralize them in the first like 10 miles. <laughs> so, as you can tell, this back and forth goes on for a while. There's a lot of moments where people ahead of us or behind us chime oh, in on casual conversations, usually related to, you know, our sarcastic attitudes and comments about the need to suffer and how no one should be doing this and how unprepared we all are. We get in a short debate at one point about the probable pace of a friend we thought was at the front of the pack, which leads to some ill-conceived math on the run. We also talk about our individual injuries and their potential to surface on this day. We talk about our respective competitive nature and how it influences our decisions to try things, or not for that matter. We also talk about more generalized topics, like how Salt Lake City is changing a lot and how Ogden is following suit in its own way, be it a bit slower. But after a while, gaps start to develop between people in front and behind, and then for the rest of the day, the only time we see people is at aid stations, or if we're passing them. Eventually, I wind up gapping both John and Chad at different times, and just like my training run, I'm now solo. Alright. Oh, it is just about quarter after seven. And getting close to the top of the climb, which is the majority of the elevation in the um, in the run. I wound up separating from John and Chad. Um, we had a really, really slow initial pace, which is good. Um, a little slower than I would have liked, but it also probably kept me from blowing up before now. Um, so, uh, I think I see the peak here soon. Probably about a mile away. It's been a glorious morning so far. I mean, in terms of running, it doesn't really get better than this. 
super beautiful. Really great sunrise. And now we're actually being protected by some cloud cover too. So the temps are still cool. Um, just about a mile from the Ben Loman Peak. <clears throat> All right, to the top. At the summit of Ben Lomond, the first of the two major peaks in this race that make up the 7,000 feet of elevation gain, I spotted an old munitions box and assumed it contained a summit register. I figured of the eight hours I planned on being out today, I could take 10 to 20 seconds just to peek into its contents. Right, As an right. aside, I love summit registers. The stuff you yeah, find in them yeah. varies so wildly from <laughs> simply name and dates to drawings, to quotes, to short stories about why that person wound up on top of that mountain to begin with. They're really grounding, in my opinion. They remind me that people have so many different motivations for pursuing outdoor recreation. Mine, today, was to move quickly. So I closed the lid and carried on about my business, saving the in-depth story reading Hello. for another Thanks, day. Too. All right, so, first climbs out of the way. Descent. Yeah. What was it from? Probably from about about eight to fifteen. It's a seven-mile descent. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. Dude, I just hit one of those pickle shots. Oh yeah? Money. Is that it? Yep, right here. That's the last three right there. Yep. Salty as they get. Yep. At the aid station just before halfway and oh, just preceding the second major climb, Shad and I were reunited while taking a short rest. I discovered my love for drinking pickle juice and Coca-Cola within the same minute of each other. And I also discover Shad has had some Brutal toe strikes that have impacted his day slightly. Do you guys know how far it is to the next aid station? I'm kind of stoked at this point because I feel like we haven't been running for that long and I have a lot left in the tank. This was approximately at mile 15 and my mental and physical condition were vastly superior to what they were at mile 15 of my training run. And I was about to start the second climb, which I've always viewed running uphill as an advantage of mine. I could plan on probably making up a lot of time to a handful of people in front of me who were starting to get pretty gassed. I knew it wasn't gonna be easy, but with 20 miles left, I felt like I was just hitting my stride. I felt like it probably should. I think I might have one on my other foot too. That sucks. Is it broke? No. You want some of these? I can't eat all of them. This is a poke shit in the woods. You want me to set the pace? Yeah, if you wanna go ahead. I'm gonna long walk it. Turn on the afterburners? Ah, I'm just gonna do this long stride thing. It feels pretty good on my calves. 
station just under halfway um, and it was three hours and 40 minutes from the start <clears throat> so feeling pretty okay um, my knees gave me a lot of trouble early on the descent later on the descent it was actually fine for some reason even though we were running harder um Shad and I had been running together but he had a pretty bad toe strike um the thing looks <laughs> it looks like he's gonna be hoping it's broken <laughs> um so he's falling back a little bit. We just started the second climb and uh, it's shorter than the first uh, in distance, a lot shorter actually. So just kind of speed walking it now. Overall feeling good, feeling way better than I felt um, on Monday on my second climb. So could be a really good course for me get these climbs out of the way basically you know 55% of the way through the race um, seems like if I'm gonna succeed and have an okay time then this is uh, gonna work to my advantage so yeah oh fuck that's not making this hill any easier though oh and I pooped oh which is great. I didn't really have to poop until about a quarter mile before the um, uh, aid station. So it worked out great. And I'm uh, gonna be good to go until the rest of the rest of the race. Pretty excited. how far I'm in. I bet you I'm five miles into the descent probably. Um, and I'm still running. <laughs> I'm pretty freaking stoked about that. <clears throat> um, so far, yeah, things hurt. Um, you know, below average for sure. But <clears throat> I'm not walking, uh, which is definitely not where I was at. Uh, five days ago around this mileage um, It seems like I'm about two miles away from the last aid stand before the finish and um, Man having aid stations so this, you don't have to self-support has Been great. I mean, it's it's probably been the difference between Monday and today and why I'm feeling pretty good right now still um, and especially that I'm still running um, I can see Eden from time to time, so I know I'm close. And then once I get to that last aid station, I should have only about four miles left. Um, which goes along the lake. I'm not too sure if it's going to be on asphalt or not, 
Um, I really hope it's not on asphalt. I'm not entirely sure my legs could deal with that very well. But it's gonna be all flat. Um, and yeah, I am encouraged that I'm gonna get through this thing. Um, I could still easily trip and injure myself as I've kind of already done. I almost went down really hard and um, wound up flexing my core and it just really ran a knife into my ribs um, from that previous rib injury. But, I don't know, things are looking up. I am probably no more than seven miles away from the end. So, I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, good day. Oh, it is. Yeah, congrats. This is the longest I've ever run. <clears throat> Home stretch, less than four miles, probably three and a half. Flat-ish, sunny, hot, terrible. I think that guy I turned down for a popsicle was insulted, but I had people behind me and I'm trying to do okay. I don't wanna leave anything on the table right now. Shit. Look, it's hot here. Holy shit. <clears throat> this sucks. This is the worst part of the day. Gotta consider walking if it weren't so fucking hot right now. Think about anything but being done. <clears throat> okay, gotta walk this. How on earth can people run 100 miles or more? Definitely gives me a, I don't wanna say newfound respect, but a deeper understanding of why it's considered extremely hard to run those distances. Okay. Whew, my legs are only moving one speed right now. Just get to the fucking finish line, man. Come on. Pick up your feet. Oh man. Got a threatening cramp in my right hamstring. Oh yeah. Not great. Oh, I see two dudes up ahead that look like they're in the race though. <clears throat> Might motivate me to keep going here without walking. I think I'm out of water. Still got an electrolyte mix, not a ton though. So, gotta see this finish line soon. Finish line could be soon. Looks like we're in the town of Eden now. 
don't remember exactly where to go, but hopefully these little orange streamers are gonna shine. Ooh, this could be it. Nice. There it is. See the finish? Oh fuck, I'm like running way faster. Appreciate that. Woo. Oh, thank you. As much as I would love to paint me finishing this ultra run in some sort of cathartic light, I can't. And at first, I didn't really know why. Going into this, I expected to be one of the hardest challenges of my life physically. And don't get me wrong, it was. But as I crossed the finish line, I didn't have some sort of relief come over me like this was the ending of some huge effort and that I wouldn't be doing it again. And the more I think about it, there's two big reasons why for this lack of closure. First, somewhere between mile 15 at that main aid station and the top of the second climb around mile 22, I knew I was finishing. There wasn't another option in my head. It was a logical conclusion of how I felt relative to what I knew laid ahead of me. I had three to four hours of coming to terms with this, and it was exciting and rewarding. And I was thrilled when this realization slowly came over me. It had been playing out in my head for literally hours beforehand. So when it came time to actually cross the finish line, it just wasn't a big deal like I had been there before. The second reason for a lack of closure, I found out this wasn't my limit. I didn't cross the finish line discouraged about my physical condition. Sure, I was running out of water and fighting a looming hamstring cramp, but one of the first thoughts that I could remember after finishing was that I probably could have kept running for another 10 to 15 miles with a conservative effort. So, in a sense, I didn't get to finish the race I actually wanted to run. I didn't find my failure point at 35 miles and approximately 7,000 feet of climbing and descent. I started this process with a black and white understanding of the marathon distance. I tend to look at things on the binary scale often, as anyone who knows me will tell you. And on the hard and easy binary scale, I mistakenly put all marathon distances in the easy column, which looking back at it, I was definitely wrong. As everyone I've talked to has said, it is in fact hard. But like a lot of things, it's only as hard as you make it. It's not necessarily hard simply because of the distance. I'd argue most relatively fit people can successfully complete a road marathon. 
but it becomes hard because you can treat it as a sprint race and run at a relatively fast pace depending on the terrain. It's hard because, as others have pointed out to me, it's not that common for people to have the type of lifestyle that allows you to run that distance frequently and prepare. And finally, it's hard because for most people, it will be the longest distance they will have ever run because they don't know that they can target anything different. So while I may not have personally considered running a marathon hard in terms of distance accomplishment, that doesn't mean that I couldn't make it hard if I were to actually run one. My goals are just different. While many focus on ultimate pace, like running under a three-hour marathon, and even fewer may focus on ultimate distance, like running 100 or 200 or even 240 miles, I find that right now, I'm kind of somewhere in between. I'd like to cover a distance like 50 miles in the mountains with a pace that doesn't have me starting and ending in darkness. And I think I can do it, because the way I see it, it would be less than double my current long distance. I think this may just be my long-winded attempt to get people to push themselves a bit harder than they may be comfortable with. Because you may just be surprised that the original target simply wasn't hard enough for you. So don't let other people, including myself, define what's hard for you. You could either say there there are multiple skill sets necessary or there are multiple avenues for success. And so with the marathon, it's it's sort of the opposite. You have to run flat and fast really well. And so it's like, what do you need to do? You need to run marathon pace. You need to know how to fuel and you need to be mentally tough. And if especially if the mental toughness and the fitness, like if you don't have that, you're just not going to do well. So, but with, with ultra marathons, there is, yes, there's general fitness, but there's multiple layers of how you fuel or dealing with um, heat or cold. There's dealing with uphill and downhill. There's dealing with um, technical terrain that all presents different avenues for challenge, which makes it interesting, but also success. I think that's what continues to drive growth in ultra running is like, hey, I can be pretty fit, but I'm going to be super human and in terms of mental capacity um, and and be able to achieve at a high level. And I think that's the true allure to, to ultra running are those challenges, but also the different avenues to still, still be highly successful. Those closing comments were from physical therapist, coach, and ultra runner, Joe Yuhan. Aside from Joe's accomplishments as an ultra runner, Joe owns and operates Yuhan Performance Physiotherapy in Eugene, Oregon, as well as offering online coaching and running at yuhanperformance.com. I had a long interview with Joe where we talked about a ton of great topics, but I simply couldn't squeeze them into an already lengthy episode. But I encourage everyone to read his articles on irunfar.com, where he discusses a variety of technical topics from multidimensional injury treatment to how to self-assess your running stride for efficiency. I want to thank all the people who graciously took time to provide guidance and insight on the last two episodes. Again, those people are Joe Yuhan, whom I just mentioned, Esther Smith from Grassroots Physical Therapy, Megan Hicks from Iron Far, Todd Jansen from Go Beyond Racing, Jesse Rich from Forward Progressions, my friend Brian, who's a patroller at Snow Basin Ski Resort in addition to running his own business, Open Sky Flight Instruction, and of course, my friend Chad, who got me into this mess in the first place, knowing damn well my crippling fear of missing out would never let him finish an ultra marathon before I do. Until next time, thanks for the listen.